I'm discombobulated. What do I say? Uh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Well, <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to the latest episode of Galactica Actually. This is uh, Adiala Jackson and my co-host. Jamie Smith. How are you doing, Jamie? I'm good. <laughs> I'm currently recording from an undisclosed location. Um, I have a completely different setup. And so I just was a little bit, uh, I just, as we started recording, I had this feeling of like, where am I? It's kind of like when you wake up in a different place of the first night and you mm-hmm. kind of don't know where you are. That's how I felt. Like, <laughs> For a second and i didn't know what to say so anyway <laughs> um today we're going over home part two the conclusion of basically the uh i don't know like the entire first season arc and i guess almost half of season two which is kind of interesting um uh, what have you, what are like your thoughts so far about, um, like that topic and how we've gone from the miniseries to this moment and how it all kind of ties together? Um, I'm really happy for this arc to be concluding. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we have spent a lot of time on the sort of tension between Adama and Roslyn and, having Hilo and Sharon on Caprica and I'm ready for everybody to be together mm-hmm. and to see what comes next because things are going to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember like, so watching it in real time, I didn't have that experience that you're talking about now, but like watching it now, I definitely am like, yeah, okay. Like, this is cool, but it's because I know where like the stuff that's gonna be coming is yeah. coming. So I feel a little bit more like I, I mean I really love all of this stuff. I love like the Cobol arc and yeah. how they break apart and they come back together, but like I'm you know, my brain's like, Oh yeah, but oh <laughs> you know. But coming wait, up wait we've the, got wait till the Pegasus gets yeah. here. wait till like wait till you know, wait till this, wait till that, you know. Wait till Caprica, wait till yeah. So um, but yeah, I, I it it was a, incredibly for me, and I talked about it on the last episode um, when just when Adama's like I'm bringing this family back together. It like it my whole heart like is engaged, and a lot of that happens here too for me. So um, I love storylines where you know they break apart but then they come back together. So I'm a sucker for that. I, I, I hate that. (laughs) Not like just in general, when I, I get so like stressed Mm -hmm. when people that shouldn't be fighting with each other are fighting with each other. So like Mm -hmm. in, in Grey's Anatomy, whenever Meredith and Christina would fight, Mm -hmm. I was so stressed for the series of episodes where they weren't like best friends. And, Mm -hmm. um, 
I was trying to think if there was something in Buffy that was similar. You know, it's funny because when you first started talking, I was like, you're going to say Buffy because that happened like a few times, I think. Or maybe Angel, I was thinking of. Sometimes he would like get yeah, mad at everybody. Like if Angel went together. if Angel went dark, if he went bad, yeah. But yeah. I'm trying to think if there was a, there was a time in Buffy, but it never lasted very long in that show. Not as not as long as some shows will do it now. But mm-hmm. this whole thing with you know the fracture of certain people against other people when. It, you know, it's like you guys are supposed to be on the same team. Mm-hmm. It just makes me so happy when they're finally like, all right, we're going to stop with this infighting mm-hmm. and focus on what's actually important, which is being together and moving forward as as a team instead of, you know, individual factions. You know... Let's talk about this even before we get to the episode, because I'm kind of thinking uh, and and remind me. I think for the most part, we do have um, a sense of togetherness for everybody until, I mean, I would say like until maybe like the reveal, the final five, we have some more discord. Um, But and then there's always that there's always that thing between Adama and Lee, like constantly. Right. But. In the general fabric, everyone's basically united, and the the threats of the Cylons, I think, after this arc is more. Um, so it's like everything comes from the outside, as opposed to it being internal for this first season and a half. I think mm-hmm. is that is that like an observation that you can well, support it's or... it's both in this first arc. It's the threat of the Cylons. But then there's, you know, this, like mm-hmm. Kara going back to Caprica and Roslyn wanting to go to Koval and, you know, the mutiny or coup or all of that. Um, that's all them, like, breaking themselves apart because of ideologies. Mm-hmm. So they come back together and that's great. And and then their threat is from the outside until we get to the Pegasus. Yeah. And even then, the, I mean, the Pegasus is a threat from the outside. Yeah, that's true. They're, yeah, they're go- like the, because I think now, once they get on the page of like Earth is quote unquote real, at least they believe yeah. it's real at this point, and that's where they're going, um, then they, at least they all have like a common goal. They might like disagree how to get there, but. Um, but then and they the Pegasus, break apart again because yeah, of they do, because of New yeah. Caprica. Yeah, because of New Caprica. Yeah, and and but then with the Pegasus, it's like they're actually there actually is a difference in like whatever uh, uh, Kane, Admiral Kane, like her her goal isn't fight. Her goal is to fight, right? Mm-hmm. And she's approached this entire breakdown of the colonies differently than um, Galatka. That's yeah, and then be when they go off track with new caprica because they kind of like lose their way um we and and that fracture is not contentious like this one that one is some people want to go down to the planet yeah and some people don't yeah and then there's a big i mean and there's a big relatable understandable reason why they you would think you they you know with the destruction of whatever 
the ship, um, you definitely can see why people would be like, okay, I'm tired. Let's let's just stop here. But also, if you spent months and months on a ship, like the idea of having solid ground to be on and sky yeah. and air, yeah. like fresh air, it's yeah. enticing. I'll take this. I'll take it. Yeah. Like it might not be perfect. It's not Earth, but it's it's a livable planet. Yeah. Kind of. It doesn't look so livable, but. And they're still working on faith, too. So it's like Earth yeah. still like, you know, even though. And we'll I'll, we'll talk about it a little bit in this episode, like even though they they kind of know that there's a Earth, like they still don't know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> so like you may never find it like it happens to come about on this show. But, you know, it could be 30, 40, 50 years like, you know, the uh, children of Israel or something wandering in the desert. And was it 40 years or something like that? I can you can understand why they would make that choice in New yeah. Africa, um, yeah. Because the the show definitely shifts from here on out. Yeah, I think Adama deciding that like this is a family, not just this ship, but this fleet. We're in this together. We're going to stay mm-hmm. together. Yeah, that that really helps them when they're outside force isn't just the Cylons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Can't wait to talk about Pegasus. Jesus. Oh my gosh, yeah. Plus, we finally get to see, in this episode, we finally get to see Hilo um, in his dress uniform, so I know you probably hmm. like how he cleans up. Would it Would it surprise you if I said I f- didn't notice? <laughs> <laughs> I never noticed until this time. I'm like, oh, this is actually the first time we actually like actually see Hilo not wearing like his flight suit or like his resistance wear. I'll have to pay attention as we discuss it because yeah. I have it on my screen. So yeah. All right, you want to kick this off? Well, you're leading this, so I, I you know, but I want your, you know, I want your full consent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one a little interesting note we have, uh, I kept, cause I just kept seeing this everywhere there. Um, we have three fewer survivors from last episode to this episode. So there's a, I, we lost, um, what did we lose last episode? Didn't think we lost anyone last episode. My brain's totally blacking out. Um, yeah. oh, we lost, we lost Alosha. Oh, and right. We lost, and we lost, uh, I guess one of the, like a kind of, they, described as a red shirt um when the cylons attacked and then they you know they were surmising that maybe there was another person off screen or whatever but there were this we have three less survivors okay this episode it's always it's kind of you know it's cool that they keep count even when it's something that small yeah know? i always remember when they had the big jumps and losses on the show i was like damn that's crazy i always mean to look at the number and i never do yeah on my rewatches, I barely pay attention. When I first was watching, I would, you know, I'd notice. Um, but, you know, it wasn't really. It was like the big ones, like after New Caprica or something. Um, I'd be like, ooh, this, that was. The Wikipedia was a lot page. Um, yeah, the population is 47,855, a loss of three since part one. Two of these were seen on screen in the last episode. The other may have happened off screen in the same ambush. 
it's still that the number of people that are there is that like the sort of like the townish that I grew up in was um, I remember when I was growing up that it said like population fifty five thousand on the for that city mm-hmm. and when I was so when I was watching Battlestar I was like oh my god like imagine like the like it's just the, your city or whatever like not even you know not even not not a big city but like a small town yeah with 55,000 people out of and then I think you know with Battlestar there were around 60 billion people because they're you know, all a bunch of different planets so um 60 billion yeah because there's 12 colonies right right so yeah so there were a bunch of different planets so I, it's like all down to this this very small sliver of people makes it it always just made it feel that much more precarious for mm-hmm. them um anyway so we open up on cobalt <laughs> laura and her crew down at cobalt are moving through the rain and the cold and they're you know we're still searching for the tomb of athena she's struggling with the uh, pages from the book of pythia like there's one that falls down in the rain She's picking it up. Covered in blood. To, yeah, covered in blood. Yeah. So, like, and they talk about this a little bit later, but she basically, with Alosha gone, like, trying to, disco- trying to decipher all this stuff is on Rosalind now. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, uh, like, visibly, you can see that she's struggling with, like, what to do. Mixed into that sequence, um, back on the Galactica, Adama, um, Tyrol, Gaeta, and um, Ty or pouring over the information that um, Adama requested in the at the end of the last episode about Cobalt to see if they can find where this tomb might be or at least where the where the people escaped to find it. Gaeta surmises that they they should use the information from the book um book of Pythia mm-hmm. uh, because that's what it seems like uh, Rosalind was had an affinity for. Um, and then going through all of that stuff, they surmise that it should be in the mountains to the west of the city of the gods. And then Adama says that he assumes that they should be the most obvious landmark would be um, where they would start from would be the opera house. So they head west from there. And then Tiro kind of jumps in because of his knowledge of the, the episodes that they were down on Cobalt. He identifies it a little bit more. So they kind of decide where they would where they should go. Um, Ty jumps in and he's like, uh, if this is all she's got to go on, I don't know how she's going to find the tomb. And Adama says kind of straight up, oh, maybe she's seen it in a vision. And everybody kind of laughs, but he's serious. Um, and he says, no, she s- says she sees things. And, you know, if she believes it, then the people that are with her believe it too. So we'll follow these clues as best we can. I forgot, or maybe didn't even know, that Adama knew she was having visions. Yeah, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure if he was around when that part happened, but it's not out of the, uh, like, he could, like, somebody definitely could have said that, because there there was that whole thing in the press conference and all that stuff, so... I'm guessing that she must have said something to him, but then, you know, and he didn't say anything. He yeah. doesn't know that she has cancer because she said that yeah. when he was still 
recovering and right. she was having you know some issues where uh ellen told ty that oh she's crazy mm -hmm. so ty should probably put a couple things together here when adama's like no she's she said she's having visions mm -hmm. he should be able to be like oh oh okay it's something that i think it's believable that he would have been able somebody could have told him or just like what's going on he would have been briefed on the situation it is true that they don't mention it to us so it's like kind of inferring that he would understand this but he, they definitely don't specifically have a moment where he's like he would have actually found out that she's having visions mm -hmm. for sure and since um, nobody else knows i i guess it's just headcanon that she confided that in him because they are the two sort of top people mm -hmm. hey, you know well there was i don't know i have to kind of go back but remember when back in last season when the, the episodes when she's looking at the the book and she sees yeah she sees yeah i yeah. i don't know you know i don't remember if adamo was like around for any of those parts but she wasn't i don't think and when she asked to go to get the sh to take the raider to go get the heir of Apollo baby, there was something there. I'd have to go back and actually, you know, specifically see. But anyway, Tyrrell, <laughs> in this whole conversation, he mentions that he can't imagine that they would be able to get through all of this stuff uh, down on Cobol, the um, the crew that's already down there without a map or a guide and then they cut to Sharon mm -hmm. um kind of kind of showing them the way obviously the connection between those two is going to have some tension a little bit later so, so all this rain um mm -hmm. in the previous episode they didn't really highlight how rainy it was but mm -hmm. Trisha Helfer pointed out on her podcast that like it was rainy and you can mm -hmm. tell with Rosalind's hair and stuff that she said Mary was, like, just so over it because oh. <laughs> it was raining all this time they had to be outside. And uh. then in this episode, they're just drenched by water. And I wonder if it was actually raining or if they made it worse because they were already dealing with on and off rain showers up there in Vancouver. I, it's funny. I did get the impression for just like, again, my brain didn't like contemplate this and I didn't sit on it, but I did kind of feel like, oh, it must have been raining when they were shooting this because there wasn't like the all the other scenes when they were there. This wasn't the case. And they must they might have just worked around the fact that it had started to rain. Um, but yeah. Yeah, if you know. know if you are really paying attention to Mary McDonald's hair in the previous episode, like there's definitely like they were not able to keep it looking not and, frizzy because uh, of rain. Because like, and just thinking of, like from a production standpoint, I was just thinking, yeah, it's like it, to to bring that much to make it rain, like it's a lot of it's like a lot of extra work, right? And you don't you don't necessarily need the rain to sell this yeah. scene or idea. So yeah, I definitely thought that they just were like, oh, it must have been raining, and they were just working through it. Do you know so. that actors get <laughs> a? It's called a like a wet bump or something for when they have to be wet on screen. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah, because it is uncomfortable. 
so they get a yeah. little extra money for it. Oh, that's nice. I mean, that, and that's uh, maybe that's what they're fighting for. Uh, as of today, SAG might be striking. I'm not sure. Jesus so. Christ. <laughs> I mean, I get it. They should. Yeah. They should maybe stand that's... in sol- solidarity with the WGA because they don't have jobs if the writers don't have jobs. Regardless of what, you know, these studio assholes think an AI can do, you're not going to have good content if you don't have a writer. Yeah. It's crazy because, like, the, the, I mean, this show went through it too, toward in season four. Um, yep. They kind of, they, just shut down everything mm-hmm. um that's kind of how they work through it but you know the the classic case is uh you know people talk about heroes i always i always bring up um friday night lights yep that's my example that's my um, example too yeah because people are always like oh no heroes and i was like yeah. well actually the um the writer strike might have saved friday night lights because it how so because oh, be- it happened during season two yeah. And season two was a train wreck and they had to shut down and they they were able to reset. Uh-huh. Okay. Be- I think. Well, is, but if you look at like Pushing Daisies got canceled mm-hmm. because they had to shut down and the ratings weren't high enough to like bring it back. Mm-hmm. I think the writer's strike happened during season two of Friday Night Lights. Yeah, definitely did. I mean, that was that was my whole thing because it. Uh, my understanding or my interpretation was that they were just kind of winging it, So <laughs> like they had whatever version of scripts they had, and then they were just kind of like the show already had like a high level of like improv in scenes, mm-hmm. um, and so I just was like, oh, you could definitely they're just they're just kind of going off of outlines and letting them letting it fly yeah um, unfortunately the know. problem with season two of friday night lights is that the studio was like we need it to be more dramatic mm-hmm. and yeah, so they, they put they in a that. really really fucking stupid plot really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why i think that the writer strike ended up saving them because they were able to just close that shit out and, mm-hmm. and do what they needed to do to wrap things up and get it back to normal and like remind everybody that this show is not Dawson's Creek. This this <laughs> is something else. <laughs> and and then it also f- kind of forced NBC was going to drop it and DirecTV came in and said, "Well, we'll pay for half of it." And so that oh, kind yeah. of saved it too cuz NBC would have yeah, canceled it. Direct- yeah, I remember DirecTV. I wasn't. I didn't even watch the show until long after it was over. But I do remember when it went direct DirecTV, and then when I was watching it, yeah, I was like, "Ooh, what's going on?" Yeah, what's no, I was. I was two? in from the first episode, so season two was very frustrating to watch in real time. Be like, "What is yeah. happening to my show?" Yeah. And then the and then season uh, when season three starts, like from the opening shot, you're like, oh yeah, this is a this is a soft soft reset, yep. and I I really appreciated that. Yeah. And like look, for Battlestar, I actually remember you know like and I'd be kind of we could have this whatever um, mid season I guess it was for season four. I mean that could have been the end of the show. That would have been the most depressing end for the show. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there that actually wish that that were the Those actual people are end. Wrong. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I, you know, it, you know, it's kind of like they're got to be edgy or whatever. Um, but 
but that could have been the end. Um, and because I wasn't sure it was coming back. No, no, no one was actually sure, you know. Yeah. Um, so where were we? Um, <laughs> um, Sharon is queen of the mountain. Yeah, right. Um, or queen of the hill. They blah, blah, blah. We uh, Adam back on back in Galactica, Adama announces through some discussion that he's actually going to go down to the surface of the planet with a raptor. He doesn't want to like they kind of assume that he was going to take Galactica out there. And he's like, he doesn't want to put the fleet at risk. And he also says, more importantly, that um, he says that he's the only one that he thinks could really talk to Rosalind. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know he's he's very adamant like we we may have gone down separately but we're coming back together hopefully on our feet <laughs> he's like even if it's in body bags we're coming back together um so he says that um, he's only going to take people who are necessary in my notes i wrote so of course racetrack yes um, she's very necessary <laughs> she's very necessary this is very important for me so then through all of that, we kind of close this whole opening sequence out with um, them back on COBOL, uh, Mare and Zarek are kind of continuing their plot. And they're basically trying to find an opening or an opportunity to take out Apollo. That was a very intense opening sequence. Was not it? really. Yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I was starting to question myself for a second. Yeah, no, like, I just, what I was, did I... I was being facetious. <laughs> um, it was back on COBOL. Um, they spot the gates of Hera. Um, everyone's, uh, you know, uh, Sharon is like kind of saying, this is what's, this is this and that's that. And she's like, kind of like, I think. <laughs> and there's a lot of questioning about Sharon's um, assuredness. Um, she eventually is like, I know. Cylons, we know more about your religion than you guys do. So they kind of continue on. Um, there's going to be, there's this whole thing about making it, um, they're not going to be able to make it before nightfall. So the, uh, Rosalind wants to just kind of keep going until, go as far as they can before they have to stop and rest. This whole conversation around like how much the Cylons know about Cobol and the scriptures brings up uh, some kind of questions that I, I kind of had that I never really, I always kind of like let it slide, but for the sake of the show that we're doing, I, I always just kind of wonder, like it opens up, it can potentially open up some plot holes. Um, like if the Cylons knew all about this stuff in the first place, why didn't they go there in the first yeah. place? <clears throat> um, there Why didn't is... they take the arrow of Apollo and go right. to Cobol? Yeah, like, because what's her name? Six is there at the museum already. Like, but then part of me is just kind of like maybe they didn't, like, that wasn't a part of their plan or whatever. So, like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think they were interested in Earth. Yeah. Until all of their plans on Caprica didn't happen. Right. So, like, they have their plan on Caprica. That falls apart because, as we'll discuss later in the season, two Cylons are like, hey, we're doing this the wrong way. Mm -hmm. There's a better way. Mm -hmm. Then we get new Caprica, and that goes to shit. So then they're interested in Earth. Yeah. 
Because they're running out of options. Yeah. And Earth wasn't even a, like like to be in the reality of the show. Earth wasn't like this thing to begin with. Right, it was with. a myth. Yeah. It was just like that. Uh, it all, like it was about the destruction of the colonies. And then this one ship was like, okay, we're going to go to Earth. Because like mm-hmm. we're, we're, our home's destroyed. So, so I don't know. I, I can let it slide because of that. So back on Galactica, we actually, it seemed like, you know, for the last three or four episodes, like Baltar wasn't included in the mix. They're always trying to find something for Baltar to do. Um, yeah. And um, this is actually a, the more that he actually has stuff to do. And this is actually an interesting um, like B story or C story. So Baltar is in what was going to be Boomer's intended cell. Um, he's having a discussion. He turns around. He sees um, Stark ass naked, um, head six. Um, mm-hmm. He, um, she's being very like seductive and playful with him. He's kind of like not having it. <laughs> he's a little bit. He's like kind of over it. Um, but he said he's had enough of all these questions and how all of these mystical things that he thinks can't be true really interesting because kind of back to what he used to do in season one um where he just kind of rejected all of these things that she had been telling him were the truth yeah and it this dynamic ends up being the same as all of those other episodes where he sort of rejects like any of this stuff can be true he kind of he asks them who's going to bear their child he says, will it be Starbuck? And she seems to get offended by that and says he's in dangerous territory. I don't know exactly why necessarily she would have been upset. Um, but he continues to... She's jealous of Starbuck. Is, is that why you think it is? Yeah. Okay. She's jealous of Starbuck. Like, okay. this is... She only reacts this way about Starbuck. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I just... I took it to mean something different, but yeah, you're you're right. I took it more to mean like this meaning of like Starbuck because of, especially because of the last episode with the farm and they're like, she's special and we know that she ends up being special. So I was reading it that way, but I think that your, your answer is probably a lot more direct and um, accurate. But anyways, he like, he continues to kind of mock that whole thing. Um, but then when he turns, he's talking, he has his back to her and he turns back around and then, She's um, this time she's like fully clothed, her hair and, and a ponytail. I actually think she's a lot cuter this way. Um, but well, she looks like Starbuck. Yeah, is it? Do you think she looks like Starbuck? She's got her hair in a ponytail like Starbuck. She's wearing regular clothes. Not that Starbuck wears clothes like this, but she's wearing regular clothes and her hair, which we've never seen her like this. Yeah. And if you look at Starbuck in this episode, she has well, she does have the her same ponytail. Yeah, huh, interesting. I just thought that she looked like she was going to like yoga class or something. Well, she does, but I think she chose to look this way because this is what Starbuck looks like. And then, and it's she. It's not only her appearance, but also her demeanor. So it's almost like she's. Being, I don't, I don't know what Trisha Helfer is actually like, but it's just like she's a different person now. She's not playing on her sexuality. She's just like, okay, fine, yeah. all right, then let's let's just, uh, sure, you 
you don't have a chip in your head. You're just crazy. Yeah. She says, wake up and smell the psychosis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not. You, you, there's no Cylon ship. She's not real. He's not. You're not getting secret messages from the Cylons. You're just crazy, she says. And the way that she's saying all of it, she's like kind of like laughing. Um, like the like, you know, oh, the gig, the gig is up or whatever. I just we've been we've been fooling you. Um, you've been punked, you know, <laughs> um, he's uh, he doesn't believe her. And he she says to him that um, his subconscious is fracking with his mind. Um, and that's like a defense mechanism for, you know, allowing the Cylons to destroy um, the colonies. And so like it's like his mind couldn't take it. So created this entire de um, delusion. Um, and that it's a part of his subconscious, which is informing like these informing him seeing her and all the things that we've seen throughout the show. Um, Baltar kind of leaves and Six tells him that, you know, um, before he leaves, uh, she tells him to get his brain scan to prove that this is the case. So uh, we cut to uh, the Raptor, a Raptor piloted by Racetrack who's taking charge on the ship. Um, <laughs> uh, it doesn't look like racetrack, racetrack is flying the ship. No, she's definitely the ECO. There's a, there's a, somebody that's uh, somebody else. The, an unknown pilot is piloting the ship, but Tyrrell's like going over like all of the, all of the maps and stuff and he can't make heads or tails of it. Or there's something that like racetrack grabs. Let me, let me look at it. That's why I said, go. Oh, yeah. Racetrack's taking <laughs> Yeah, she she would definitely know of her Tyrrell since she spent all of five minutes on COBOL. And she was the first person, the first human being to be on a base star. So, yeah, did that give her special powers? Uh, apparently. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, is so funny. I'm going to be playing with this for the entire rest of uh, the run of this of this podcast. So there's this line here. He says, topography is for pansies anyway. Yes. There's, a, oh yeah, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but yeah, go ahead. Did did you listen to Ron Moore's commentary? Yeah. I listened to the commentary and read some stuff about, about that. Yeah, because yeah, there's that and then something that Adama says later where, so they originally wanted this to be topographies for pussies. Mm-hmm. And later, Adama's comment to Billy that Adar, what does he call him? Adar's a moron. Mm -hmm. It was originally Adar was a prick. Yeah. And like standards and practices were like, no. Yeah. And now you'd definitely be able to say both. Yeah. I mean, you know, the pussies part, I still would be like, yeah, that's a little, little too much. I, I don't know that. You, anybody would try yeah. to say that now, but the prick part definitely, yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like the number of times on like Supernatural that Dean <laughs> called someone a dick, like it's nothing anymore. So yeah. prick easily. Yeah. Um. By the way, I have a dog here, and he's like moving around. So if you <laughs> you hear anything on the recording, that's what's going on. Get him on mic. Put a little headphone on him. I know. So, anyways, yeah. Um, so Billy, we cut. We see Billy on the Raptor, and um, Penny comes. <laughs> kind of comes out of nowhere. 
he you know he says that yeah uh, Rosalind will not be happy to see him um Adama kind of jumps in he's like uh she trusts you um Billy doubts that and Adama says that you know she said she said that um Billy reminds her of a young pre- president Adar one day he would be president Billy doesn't know how he says he doesn't know how to respond to that and, that, and that's when Adama replies don't let it go to your head Adar was a moron Adama seems like his his demeanor here is a little different, a little bit more uh, almost cocksure than he normally is. Um, well, I, it's like he's getting himself back. Yeah, and it may just it's because he's going actually going on a mission, maybe like he because he doesn't ever ever do that, right? He's not like uh, Captain Kirk. Yeah. Anyways, I just thought it was interesting. He he the way he plays a lot of these scenes is. It makes sense, but justifiably, his his it's like his certainty is on a different register than it has been the entire show. Um, that, but it's to a point. We get this quick shot of them as they get into the atmosphere, where mm-hmm. their faces are all yeah, the being squished yeah. back because of the G forces. It's yeah. pretty funny. No, that was a, I mean, that's a, it was a good touch. It made me, because I don't recall them really talking about like how they shot. I was really curious how they shot that stuff. You know? Yeah. It seemed like that would have been a big, did they put them in one of those centrifuge things? And... No, they probably just like had like a big fan or something to, I don't know. And I don't, because I don't think I we don't ever know. really see this ever again, really. We don't. Um, yeah, so I just, I thought that there would be more discussion. I didn't see anybody talk about it. I was like, oh, I wonder how they did the scene. It was kind of, kind of cool. It, it kind of made it, it made the, it makes the world feel more grounded because it's just something that we never see that really in sci-fi because they always have inertial dampeners and we don't yeah. really see the effects of gravity really. Um, there's a lot of space acting that goes on to convey like disruptions. Um, but in this case, it was actual G forces that, you know, you would be a reality for them. And it was because they're doing a, she, a racetrack says they're doing an intra atmos entry jump. So something outside of the, outside of the norm that they do, there's a really cool, that shot of when that, when it's uh jumping in, it's really silent. Um, as it's kind of falling to earth on fire. Um, That was really nice. I have an answer for you. Yes. The raptor landing sequence was shot using a high-pressure air blaster to suggest the presence of strong G-forces. So like a a lawnmower thingy? (laughs) One of those Uh, leaf blower? uh, (laughs) A high-pressure air blaster. Uh, So yeah. uh, Yeah, it probably was exactly... (laughs) A leaf blower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, from a production standpoint, I was like, how do they do that? Anyway, um, at night, later, Laura's kind of by herself. She's reading the scriptures. Um, Hilo and Sharon are off, onto their, off to the side together. And then we look at Apollo and Starbuck are looking on to Hilo and Sharon. Apollo says that it kind of creeps him out the way Hilo is acting with Sharon. And Starbuck pretty bluntly says he loves her, you know. Um, Apollo is very suspicious of Hilo. Um, and then Starbuck is just like, bro, that's my friend. He's one of the good guys. Um, Apollo responds, oh, yeah, uh, Sharon was a friend of yours, too. 
<laughs> that was a really good, uh, you know, a good comeback, even if it was kind of off the mark. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, kind of keeps reminding you, as much as we've watched the show, that Apollo and Hilo have had very little interaction. So he would not have had that same kind of connection to Hilo as, as everybody else. But his very valid point, um, Sharon um, was everybody's friend up till the point that she wasn't. She, uh, uh, Hilo and Sharon are over there bonding. She's talking about her memories of Boomer's time in Galactica. And I still don't understand how she does these things. I have some, like, not headcanon answers, but... They how never... she knows How she knows what Sharon knew? Yeah, Sharon's memories. What Boomer yeah. knew? Yeah. Um, so, luckily we don't worry about spoiling, but later in the series, I've talked about this before, there's mm -hmm. a Sharon mm -hmm. who accessed Athena's memories. Mm -hmm. And so she not just... It's not just that she knows that stuff. It's that she, it's like it becomes part of her own memories. Right. But she knows they are not her memories. So she knows exactly how to like, like what Hilo likes when he's stressed. So she starts like rubbing his shoulders. She learned that because she was curious about Athena. And I think that Athena probably in order to effectively catfish Hilo at the beginning, needed all of Boomer's memories. Right. I, so I understand that part. I think what I'm talking about is like... In, How did they get Boomer's memories? Right. Like, so in my... The way that I see it and understand it and sort of like the logic of everything is like, so when they die, say, and they get downloaded back to um, wherever, the resurrection ship or, or wherever the bodies are held, that's when all of that information goes into whatever big database is. And then somebody like a, a share, a, a share and model could go in and access that information. Right. But neither boomer boomer never like died for the Caprica Sharon to access those memories. So there would have to be another mechanism of how that works, but they never really say what that is. No, they don't say, but what I read when I was reading about the plan, mm -hmm. there was something about one of, I don't remember which Cylon it was that like was meeting with Sharon. So they mm -hmm. put Sharon into this sort of fugue state where it like, it's not even a fugue state. It basically like snaps her into knowing she's a Cylon mm -hmm. and not, not really knowing what she's been doing when she's in sleeper mode. Mm -hmm. So she's fully aware that she's on a mission and she's giving them the information that they need. I think that they're probably, this is my own headcanon. There's something that they can do kind of like how Athena will tap into the computer system later mm -hmm. where they sort of download all of her information from directly from her, not from her talking, but like into something that then, they were able to give to this Sharon. Yeah, I mean, the, my only problem with this that in, this entire thing is like, if they're basically on like this like constant Wi-Fi connection, <laughs> it would it would always leave like the let's say the Galactica with with 
Sharon, Athena Sharon, it would always leave them compromised because they would realistically, they would be like the Cylons would always be able to like read part of her memories. And so it would I don't make... think they can do it like over Wi-Fi. Yeah. I think in order to get it, they'd have to be plugged into her. Yeah. And so, because I did think about like how with Boomer, it's not unreasonable that at some point she would have had shore leave or something and like taken off from the Galactica. And that's when she could have met with the Cylons and then downloaded her memories. Um, they, I'm just saying like, they just never really go into how it works is all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't probably because it was, it could get very complicated. Yeah. They'd have to explain a whole lot of information they didn't want to explain. Yeah. But just, I guess they, what, what we have to accept is there is a way that they were able to get Sharon's memories from her yeah. and give them to this model so that she could pretend to be Sharon. Yeah. And that's why this Sharon, like, I remember this, even though I know it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. I remember it and I feel it. And it's that's complicated for anybody to wrap their head around yeah. in general. And from a storytelling standpoint, which is the most important part, it just introduces all of these you know you know scenarios and situations that they can put her in because everybody has a relation a different sort of like relationship with her so she can react based on that which we see a little bit later so Mm -hmm. instead of being cold to all these people um she actually has actual memories um that was that's always just been the one thing about the show that I never really kind of understood or I feel like they ever really kind of cleared up and I was okay with them just moving it along, but I always kind of wanted a little bit more of a definitive, like this is how it works kind of thing. So there was something interesting because I have this other book called So Say We All and it's like the unauthorized oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And I'd started reading it when we first started doing this and I kind of put it aside and I've started reading it again. And there was a lot of talk about Grace Park and mm-hmm. how, um, I don't know if it was Michael Reimer or David Icke, but someone went to her after the first season and mm-hmm. said, going to need you to take some acting lessons. Mm-hmm. They just felt like, because she was so green. This was her first job, like her first real job. Yeah. out of, And she had done some acting school but like she was unsure of herself and it was the first set she'd ever been on she just she was very very new at this and so and same with trisha helfer but trisha helfer just seemed to have a more natural instinct right they it's not that they were saying like you're bad they just needed her to be able to tap into things that they were feeling that she wasn't able to tap into yeah and they said to her credit she was like, yes, absolutely. And she went and took some lessons so that she could come back and really be able to like embody her characters better yeah, and play the variations that they needed so that every single Sharon wasn't similar. Mm-hmm. Because these two Sharons were supposed to be similar, mm-hmm. but they needed her later to like really be able to stretch a little bit more than they felt she was capable of. And I thought that was interesting because I think she's, and they said like, she's very, very good at playing sweet yeah. and vulnerable. They needed her to be able to do more. Yeah. 
Because there's a scene, I mean, I love the scene in the previous season when she's going to shoot herself. Yeah. Like there's that, the vulnerability that she's able to convey, like she, she, she nails that. And there's also this scene you know, in a few episodes down the road on Pegasus when she almost gets um, Oh God, she's essay. so good in that scene. Like, yeah, every, like, I just, it's so like authentic and I really like it draws me completely in. So I think she plays those, like all of those instances, you know, like she nails it, but I can also mm -hmm. see how I, when she does have to like take an authoritative sort of tone, it doesn't quite come off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but as yeah. we go down the road, she gets better at that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I just, I thought it was interesting and I also thought it was really, um, it was really nice to learn that she was like, I totally understand what you're saying. And yes, absolutely. I will take some classes. I'll take some lessons like in between season one and season two, she, she took some acting lessons and you have to be, you have to have so little of an ego mm -hmm. to be able to hear that and understand that it's not being said to you because you're not good. It's being said because we we really need you to be better. Mm -hmm. You're fine, but you could be great. We just need you to, you know, go go take some lessons so that you can tap into the things that we know you're going to need to. Isn't that great, too, how, like, when you, uh, there's room for you to grow? Yeah. Because <laughs> there's, there's such a, there's such a, I think, a modern standpoint of, like, somebody's not quote unquote cutting it so we gotta get get rid of them and yeah you know we'll just of like, yeah we'll just write her out yeah instead of like actually you know and i think it's a part of it is maybe a testament to like everything i hear and like you still see like the whole cast still is like friends and mm -hmm. besties and stuff and part of that might be uh, around it um because if it was like a toxic situation i'm not going to bring up any shows that might have had this situation that came up in articles recently. They uh, they would just axe those people. Um, but I think because the set was, it seemed like the set was such a um, nurturing environment. And in a couple episodes, I remember um, Ron Moore talking about that. Um, so with the uh, Flight of the Phoenix episode, just kind of saying how we really did capture lightning in a bottle with the show yeah. with the cast the story just like the timing everything just kind of came together um that might not have been the case if it was some other show maybe who knows but they also said in this book like they went many 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 pages about edward james almost and how you know good and bad how he was on the set he is mm -hmm. very he's very take charge it <laughs> rubbed some people the wrong way and it was also encouraging to other people but in the end like you know, he has his process, but yeah, everybody loved working with him. It's not that he was toxic. It's just that he he was very much like, I think it should be this way about things. Whatever. That happens. Yeah, yeah. He was, he'd been working for a long time. But he also set the tone of we're a family. We're going to support each other. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things it said was that Tamo was also very new. Yeah, yeah. And had a lot of growing as far as his skills go, and he attributes that to working with Edward James Olmos and Mary McDonnell, just that he learned so much just from watching them. 
that he was able to bring into his like not their process but their watching what they could do made him understand how to be better himself it's almost like oh milo's dreaming i think he's cute chasing like something in his sleep um (laughs) It's almost like um, you might not like be 100% like um, ready for something, but you exhibit the skills and capability to learn and you're given the opportunity to learn and grow. You can actually become that. But if you're never given those opportunities, you will kind of like you will remain like in a uh, alternate universe. Tomo never gets this opportunity because he wasn't quote unquote up to snuff. And he never would have grown into the person that he became or like Grace Park has had a career over 20, 15, 20 years now, like yeah. consistently being on stuff. She's um, still a series regular on a show. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like if someone had like looked at her and just been like, oh, she's not ready or whatever, then. Right. Yeah. And that was my veiled um, uh, talking about like affirmative action and <laughs> <laughs> meritocracies oh. and that kind of thing it's just it's yeah. just kind of like it's like in, in the real world we don't always have like necessarily all the skills or like knowledge base or whatever it takes but you still might have a capacity to do those things but you're never given the opportunity you're never going to actually be able to play those out right i mean it's happened for me personally in my job like I wasn't very good at doing my job for quite a while. <laughs> and I had a a leader who was like, I know you can do it. <laughs> I need you to figure it out, figure <laughs> out how, because I know you have it in you. <laughs> and she supported me sometimes with tough love, sometimes with just outright support where I felt like I was given the chance to to figure out how to do my job well and now i'm i never would have expected to be as good at it as i am and be considered for things higher up than Mm -hmm. i'm at because Mm -hmm. i never had any ambition to be where i'm at Mm -hmm. and now i'm like well i'm really good at this and now i think i can be good at that too yeah and that all comes from one person saying i see that you're struggling I want you to be better. So how can I support you? But how can you also push yourself? And I'm trying to take what I got from her and give that to people now. Like, I see your potential. How can I help you so that you can reach the levels you need to reach? Because I did it. So I know you can do it. It's just that kind of support, I think, is what we're missing in the world and i think that this cast got that kind of support yeah yeah i mean you said like i i mean i've talked about it before like when i in that first season of, of uh starbuck versus the second season just how different she's acting and it's like mm-hmm. just i don't know man it's like i think for so the individualism of particularly america had, like i value um a lot of a lot of individualism but i think everything can turn into an, an extreme and like when it's i think we're kind of like in this extreme point where like 
you have to come into a job with all the skills ready to do like X thing, or you're not even considered for a job because you don't have all these, you know, particular, particular which is impossible, which is impossible. And then the reality yeah. is a lot of people end up getting the jobs because they know somebody, right? Yeah. They don't even need to. Yeah. So anyways, we're, this is way off. This is way <laughs> off. <laughs> but uh, this is off topic for me to just want to give Grace Park her, her props for, uh-huh becoming a a better being vulnerable in hearing feedback and then turning around and doing the work to become a a better actor mm-hmm. and a a team player yeah i just was really impressed reading that that she wasn't like fuck you guys it is <laughs> you know like her ego was not in that place her ego was humble enough to be like i understand and i will do the thing yeah she seems like a nice person. So, yeah. Yeah. And she's gotten very good at standing up for herself. Like the whole thing that happened with her on Hawaii Five O, it was her and Daniel Day Kim, and they weren't mm-hmm. getting the same amount of money as everybody oh, yeah. else, the white people in the cast. And they yeah, were like, well, that. fine. Then if you're not going to give us the money we deserve, yeah. then we're going to leave. Yeah. And I, I was really impressed with both of them for doing that because they absolutely were, you know, series regulars from episode one. And should be making as much money as the two white guys. Yeah, that gets so, in a whole other... <laughs> it is, but I, knowing <laughs> yeah. where she started yeah, and then where she ended up where she was like, I, I'm going to fight for what I deserve yeah. or I'll go is impressive. Because as an actor, walking away from a series regular job is a big decision yeah because it can and, it's and ruined it, careers it can yeah ruin in your hollywood career. it can ruin your career to stand up for yourself yeah yeah and it didn't for her and it didn't for daniel day kim and i will always admire them for for doing that and being very vocal and in, in public about it <laughs> that's all that's how you make change happen it hasn't worked yet but you know these things happen slowly yeah, as I was about to say, it's a it's often a process, but you know, as the show says, and there's a line that we will discuss a little bit later, if I remember. Actually, it comes up a little bit later. Uh, the nature of human beings is to be terrible. <laughs> so, yes, if we can, even <laughs> if we get to a point where we figure it out, like there's something deep inside of us that's going to find a way to mess it up anyway. So who knows? Yep, we. Definitely are dealing with that right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we, uh, Zarek and, and Mayor are, did we go over this already? <laughs> Zarek and Mayor are watching Rosalind. Um, Mayor kind of talks about how, like, losing Alosha is really fracked up uh, uh, Rosalind. Z- uh, Zarek shows some kind of... Um, headiness i i wrote about taking apollo out which is sort of say he i didn't want to say hesitance but mayor is very like pointed like we got to do this but you see zarek being a little bit more contemplative about it like yeah maybe maybe not we have to be more we have to be smart about how we do this but there's also a little bit of an element of like just kind of saying like no maybe we shouldn't do this at all I'm not going to say yeah. it's a consciousness, but there's like a little hint of it. 
I was thinking a lot about Zarek over the course of the show, and it's really hard to pin this guy down. <laughs> actually, um, like sometimes you actually like him, and then you know where yeah. he ends up, you're like, oh yeah, that guy. You know, so it's a uh, kind of interesting. He's not. Um, he's not just one thing, <laughs> which is good. That's good character building. Mm-hmm. That you know he has layers. Mm-hmm. He he's not gonna just kill Apollo outright and expect that Laura will be like, okay, well since you killed my number two, then you can be my number right. two. It's just that unfortunately, he's like he basically says that in you know not so many words and. Meyer is like, okay, so we'll have the Cylon do right. it so it doesn't have Loback on yeah. you. So he like plants the idea without planting yeah. it. Yeah. And, like, and that backfires on them anyway. Yeah. But and then Zarek is just kind of like on the outside of that. He's just like, I don't know, like, and there, it's just, it's, it's an interesting way to play it. Like, I, I just wonder, like, what, like, what is Zarek's end? Like, if he had have made it all the way to Earth, say, like, what, what his deal be like what does he want yeah. i don't know what zarek wants which is interesting yeah that's true like he he wants he wants a seat at the table but he then doesn't want he doesn't want to be at this table he wants to be at this table and then change this table mm-hmm. so like we see a bit of that when the mutiny happens mm-hmm. because he's in a position to like have control of things and instead of being logical he's like okay so we're i'm gonna kill everybody at this Mm -hmm. table to get what i want and that's like the terrorist side of him where he he can work within the rules and understand his place and how he can affect things from the inside but then as soon as he gets any sort of power he's like back to i've got to blow something up I think, I mean, I think you said it a little bit more. He, like, I guess he just, ultimately, he wants to be in control. It's like, dude, yeah. it's, his, it's his way. It's just so, like. I mean, he he said it in the last episode, too. Like, I want to be the the man with the guns. Yeah, right, right. Because the man with the guns is the one that's in control. But now, like, in order to be the man with the guns, they have to kill Lee. And he's like not sure if that's the right thing and i don't know if it's because he kind of likes lee Mm -hmm. or if it's that like that's not gonna get me where i need to be yeah so he's being smart about it and that's that's kind of why i break this whole thing up because it's like at least the way he's i i'm i'm intuiting how he's playing these scenes by just like looking at him as his expressions and things it's not just like this self-interested um, kind of thing. It's almost like there's there's a heart beating down there somewhere, but it's like where it's just yeah. He's such a he's such an interesting <laughs> interesting character. Like it's almost like I I understand him better. I understand the things that he does better if it wasn't at the end of the world. So a lot of the decisions that like Adama makes and the fleet makes and Rosalind makes are on the, in this context of like, well, we are the last survivors of humanity. So we've got to like, like kind of rethink and redo things. 
But with Zarek, it's almost like he's he's still operating as if, like, all of the structures that existed before exist in the previous context where they're just ongoing. There's no uncertainty on the other side for him or something. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the man. I'm gonna take over. But it's like, if if he was in charge, like what like what would he be doing effectively to? make things nothing nothing. i think we learned that is that he would not be effective as a leader because he he doesn't know how to lead he only knows how to disrupt yeah anyways i just that's a it was like another like a side (laughs) side tangent but i could i think in this again in this episode i think it's it might be the first time we see him you know like a little bit more of a layer from how we've seen him previously um so because he's he ends up not being the person that's kind of behind it. He actually questions, um, like you know, these plans that, um, yeah, that he was actually a part of, you know. Um, so anyway, the next day they're marching again. There's a grammar lesson that takes place about further and farther. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Stannis. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I like that it's cute. Again, um, Grace Park, the way she's like, kind of like the vulnerability that she has, she actually delivers this line well, where she's just basically like, it's because I'm smarter than you, you know, because um, uh, yeah. Hilo doesn't, didn't know the difference. The Starbuck, meanwhile, is talking to Rosalind about her experience on Caprica. She's telling Rosalind about how there's, you know, all these people were left, were left behind, um and all of this going over all of this stuff and it's basically you can tell she's trying to do the cell that we should we need to go back and rescue these people and Rosalind is like a little flustered distracted and she kind of she basically dismisses this conversation she says she's really focused on finding the tomb right now it doesn't really have like I guess the capacity to really talk about this a little bit in contrast of the conversation that comes up a little bit later between her and Adama. But right now it seems like she's just kind of like super focused on finding the tomb and isn't trying to hear anything that Starbuck has to say about what's going on. Yeah. And, and you would think that Rosalind would be like, wait, there are survivors back there. We definitely like we, we are trying to rebuild humanity mm-hmm. here. Yeah. We definitely need as many people as we can get, but I also understand that right now she's exhausted. She's got cancer. Mm-hmm. She is focused on finding this tomb and getting this map to Earth because she's risked everything to do yeah. it. I actually understand this scene fully. She just brings it up later with compassion. Yeah. And then I, and so those, those, things, those two things kind of you know conflict for me, but again... Well, I think right now, like, she needs the information because we need her to get that information. But in this moment, like, she's, if Kara had gone and sat with her the night before, when she was sitting in her tent by herself, she might have been able to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. But right now, they're on a hike up a mountain. This woman has cancer. (laughs) She is tired. She is physically tired and mentally tired and she just lost a friend so it just was Kara picked the wrong moment Laura doesn't have the patience right now to even think about that like let me just get through this 
Which is ironic because when Rosalind wants something, mm-hmm. she doesn't care what other people are yes. going through. Which like I I need yeah. this. I need you to do this. Which you know, I like I like I like that about like her character yeah. and other like it makes it that she's not it yeah. It makes her that she's not pristine all the time. Like she's yeah. a, there's an edge to her. So yeah, she's focused on this tomb. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Okay, Kara Thrace. <laughs> it's and it's a kind of again the the conversation is a little bit interesting too because like kind of, just kind of what you just said like Rosalind wanted something so she gets Starbuck to go to this planet and get this arrow and risk her life and all of this stuff and she comes back and she won't even take the time to listen to this yeah. it's almost like she used her you know in a, in a way you know I don't really think that that's the case but it, in this scene it really feels like that you know yeah. Um, but it's obviously not the case because, again, she talks about it a little bit later. Um, it was back on the Galactica, Baltar is getting his scan while uh, I, I, in my notes I wrote Ponytail 6. <laughs> Ponytail <laughs> 6 is kind of harassing him and noodling him. And, sexually harassing yeah, sexually him. Sexually harassing him. <laughs> um, Doc Coddle is out there on the scan. He's, like, getting annoyed because Baltar's moving around. Um, Baltar then, you know, he says he... he um, he seems like confident now that he's a part of God's plan. Um, and then six mocks him, which causes leads to him causing him to do this outburst during the cat scan, um, which really pisses Coddle off and says, are you done being crazy in there now? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. We'll get the results of that a little bit later. And then back down on Cobol, uh, Mare's kind of he's he's down there he's working he's trying to work his magic on Sharon to see where she's at and get her on their side that he eventually tells her that um, Callie murdered the other Sharon kind of a key phrase he says and they let it happen um, mm-hmm. which is a shock to Sharon because I think she would have thought that Boomer would have been in the break um, yeah. yeah. So um, she's so it set, kind of sets it up for her to be on the side, obviously, of Mayor. Through all this conversation, I think he hands her a gun at this point. I'm trying to see if he gives her a gun. Yeah, I think he did because I noted a little bit earlier that he doesn't give it to her. And I think he gave it to her at this point because she pulls it out of her pocket later he tells her that they're not gonna let your child be born you think they're gonna let you raise a potential enemy right in their midst you want to get off this planet alive you better start looking out for yourself and no he doesn't give her the gun then no because then they then they hear something yeah so through all this conversation they hear something everyone they hear noise everyone takes position um, Apollo's kind of hiding behind a, a leaf to whatever they call it. Um, he jumps out. This gun standing right there is Bill Adama. He says, put down your weapon, Captain. Apollo stands there and he does. He kind of looks like a little boy when he does it, which I think is like a good mm-hmm. like note or direction. And Adama hugs him and my heart melts after all this. <laughs> Rosalind's looking on and and then um Adama's like, It's good to see you, he says to her. Oh, my heart melts again. 
And then Billy shows up and Rosalind's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. And then with all of that stuff, then Adama looks over to Starbucks. Uh, and in my notes, I wrote, ugh, the acting, the music cues. <laughs> <laughs> because in each of these moments, they're playing like little bits of clips of music here and there or whatever. So when he sees Starbucks, they play like the, the little Starbucks theme. And yeah. um, he walks like, walk, they get close and he just looks at her. He kind of flicks her hair out of the way. It's like, it's like he's back with his girl, his little daughter, you know? Oh. Yeah, and she's like all, like, expects him to yell at her because she stole a raider and took off. Yeah. And she said a bunch of stuff to him before she left about him lying to yeah. her. But he's just happy to he's see her. He's just happy to see everybody. And it's so good. Oh, I love this scene so much. And then Sharon comes out from behind a tree. <laughs> yeah. And uh, everything, yeah. Everyone, everyone snaps back. Tyrell's the one that notices it. Um, Tyrell's, I wrote, Tyrell's ready to get his payback. <laughs> I said. Um, Adama, you know, uh, everybody's on alert. Adama slowly confronts her. He's like, he's looking her up and down, and then he chokes her out. <laughs> yeah. And pushes her down on the ground. He's like, I want you to die. So he's down there choking her. I feel like she's letting herself get choked at this point but she's definitely like you can hear her gasping for air yeah she doesn't fight back she puts her hands down yeah um and then there's some flashbacks at some point he starts to see like when she got sh when he got shot um there's this really key moment which i want to kind of talk about because this was a little bit of a conversation where when he's standing over um the boomer sharon in the morgue he says why Mm -hmm. Um, so comes to his heart starts to like, obviously he's gone through a lot in the last couple weeks. <laughs> so his heart just kind of, you know, it's too much. So he, he comes, he rolls off of her and then, um, Sharon says, and you ask why? So on, on the Wikipedia page, they also wrote about that mm -hmm. and said, it was possibly an error in editing and that she's referring to or not. I wouldn't say it's an error in editing, but I do think that this is what it's referring to mm -hmm. in the miniseries. Right. He says mankind never asked itself why it deserved to survive. Mm -hmm. And she would have gotten access to that somehow of boomers memories in whatever way we don't know that she has access to Boomer's memories, I think that that's probably what she's referring to. Well, that speech would have been been over. That was broadcast, right? When he gave that speech, and um, you're talking about when he was on the Galactica and he gave the speech about this yeah. man, this man, human, right? Why do humans deserve to be alive? Right. Whatever. So she could have gotten that information from Leoban or anyone. She no, I'm saying she literally like every that was information that would have broadcast everywhere. So wouldn't so she just could have been in her Cylon apartment and watched this broadcast of and heard this speech, you know? Well, it was broadcast to the fleet. Yeah, I mean it was I mean it was broadcast to the colonies, right? Like anybody no, it, it was it was broadcast to the fleet who was left, the fleet of ships that they had Oh no, you know I'm no, so what I'm talking about is it's before the attacks. 
So remember when he remember when he gets up and gives Oh, is his... that speech before the attacks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was the part of the speech he gave after. Yeah. So it's in, in the in the where the gift shop is <laughs> and all that other stuff. Okay. Right? Yeah, it's in the hangar. Yeah. And he gets up and he gives the speech and, you know, comes off the podium and um I think I, I think I think Ty makes a reference to uh, that was unexpected or something. I might be mixing my movies up. It might have been um Air Force One I'm thinking about, but <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, uh, yeah, that was before the destruction. So it's sort of like the, um, you know, like the premise of the show, really. It's mm-hmm. talking about human humanity's worthiness of, of surviving. So I, like, I take it to mean that, that she was saying that because he tried to choke her out, right? Um, yeah. So he gave in to his, I mean, it's understandable why he did what he did, but it just kind of shows you the capacity for violence that humans have. She says, and you ask why. Um, and yeah, a lot of the discussion was around. And I can I can see why they said that because they literally cut that scene where he says why, and then she mm-hmm. says, and you ask why. But I don't actually think those line up the way that people were thinking or asking. Yeah, yeah. So that was intense. Yes, that part really was intense. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> actually. Uh, yeah, actually. That sort of like sets up, I mean, for a little bit, we're going to see how they come around to this Sharon model. And um, there's, again, there's a, some discussions about her individuality and that kind of stuff that are really, again, broad lessons about humanity and how we actually approach the other groups um, we tend to think of outside groups as monoliths and not as individuals. We attribute mm-hmm. all of their actions uh, and actions of like maybe a few to the larger group. Um, and we don't ever bother to do that unless we don't ever bother to look at them in individual instances unless we see them as a part of our group. Um, so a lot of that stuff is metaphor, I guess, for um, Sharon and the Cylons. So, after that intense um, standoff, we're back into uh, back on the Galactica. Coddle's like kind of looking at the scans that he did for Baltar, and uh, he doesn't see anything, and basically calls him a con- <laughs> hypochondriac. <laughs> mm-hmm. Baltar definitely does not have a chip in his brain. I remember when I first watched this back in the day, I was because I was convinced he had a chip in his brain. And he didn't. So then I was like, what's going on? You know? <laughs> and this was right after like Farscape 2 when Crichton had a chip in his brain and he was saying, um, he was saying uh, Scorpius in the same manner, a version of Scorpius all the time. So I just assumed that that's what it was and it wasn't. So I didn't know what was going on. Anyways, we're back on, back on Cobol, Bill and Rosalind. Who they finally use each other's first names. I think it's kind of noted. Um, mm-hmm. He basically, they're kind of having a tete to tete. He forgives her. Um, she says uh, she didn't ask for it. And he's like, I was offering it anyway. Hilo um, is over there kind of tending to Sharon. And Sharon tells him that they killed the other Sharon. And she's visibly upset about that. 
Um, Tyrolin walks up and, you know, there's that whole moment. Right? Can you imagine his brain's completely breaking right now? In my notes, I wrote, been there, Tyrol, seeing your ex <laughs> with some other guy. <laughs> it's a just, little different. That's, I mean, obviously, my ex wasn't a Cylon, although sometimes I think of her <laughs> in those terms. She's she's genuinely happy to see him. Um, she's talking, yeah. again, connected to the scenes earlier. She talks about remembering him. Um, she tells him that, you know, she, like, obviously we've never met, but I remember, and you see that she actually kind of establishes that she, like, emotionally, she has this connection to all these people and the ship that she's about to go to and all that other stuff to, to Adama. So <laughs> Hilo's over there. He's not really happy because she hugs I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's that she's, that he's not happy. I yeah. think that he's just cautious. He's cautiously giving her her space. Yeah. He understands, like, she's not the same Sharon, but, you know, like, trying to wrap his head around, like, she has the memories, though. So she, like, I don't think he's jealous. I mean, I I think that there's an element of it there. It's like, again, like, if you, you know, if you are with someone and their ex shows up you're not gonna just be like hey like most people there's there's a little bit of trepidation around that that's mm-hmm. all i mean that's all you yeah. know especially with all of the context around it i was like he might be like a little bit unsure but i again i don't think it's like this conscious like you know uh, it's like a very like base human instinct kind of thing he definitely is yeah. like looking on like hmm you know yeah it's good. She hugs him. It's awkward. It's good to see you, Chief. <laughs> um, on the other side of them, that same uh, same segment, I, I didn't bring this up because I, I don't I know that I really wanted to get into it, but they kind of, in the director's commentary, they talk about it a little bit um, where, and I, they were seeing it in a joking way, but like there's this, there's this subtext of like Mayor and Zarek maybe have had uh, some kind of relationship because <laughs> they were in prison so long. <laughs> I actually found that I actually found the context of the conversation in the director's commentary kind of uncomfortable, and I actually think that they that it cut out um, at some points, and I kind of felt like they probably said some stuff that they shouldn't have said, so they just cut it out. But I did see, like, the way that these two relate to each other, I could actually kind of read that there was, like, there was some kind of, like, deeper connection other than they were just friends. So, did you have a... I didn't... I didn't really read any of that in there. I I just thought that it was, you know, here's a guy who was a leader in prison. Okay. And this guy is like his number two. Mm-hmm. And he's now they're out and he's like the number two is pushing number one to, you know, grab at his chances. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I would have never I never thought about it until I listened to that and re-listened to that commentary. And then I was like, oh, again, I also thought that they were they were also kind of like they were being a little crass about it. So I don't think that that was serious but yeah that's the, the kind writer... of stuff i expect from people on tumblr not so much from the 
you know, showrunner. Yeah, but it was actually more David Icke that was saying this stuff, yeah. and so but he was also the person that wrote the episode. So I just was kind of like, oh, maybe there was like something that was in the back of his head. But like I said, it did cut out, and I was just like, there was like this block of silence when they after they were they kind of were going into the subject, and then it cut out, and I was kind of like, oh yeah, they they probably like deleted that. <laughs> probably said some stuff they shouldn't have said. And anyway, yeah, so there's I, uh, Mayor and Zarek are kind of talking about their plans. Zarek kind of, uh, Zarek, again, he, Mayor seems very possessed by it, and Zarek kind of gives in to these, the movement of the plans, but he's just kind of like, eventually he's kind of like, you know, it's over, let it go, guy. This is not the time or place. Maybe sometime down the road we can enact this, but this isn't just going to happen right now. So there's definitely like a schism between the two of them. Um, and then, you know, again, uh, and he turns and walks away. And again, I read a little bit more of not so much. Uh, he kind of expresses it that it's um, not the right time and we still might have these plans later, but there still seems to be this element of like, feeling around it as well maybe he's like this idea of the family is something that he's taking into consideration i don't know maybe he remembers back the last time he was on cobol with his father lord green come on (laughs) (laughs) rosalind rosalind tells uh adama that uh they're you know she's she's kind of relaying the stuff that starbuck was talking about before She, she tells him about that there are survivors on the colonies and really kind of questioning the choices that that they've made they discuss their actions and the resolve is basically that um like according to adama that they made the right call like it basically the choices that they made were whether they're survivors on caprica or not it saved all of their lives he mentions that every moment of every day now is a gift and she's like from the gods and he's like no from you because she talked him into fleeing and Mm -hmm. whatever else the cost he doesn't want to second guess the outcome and every day has been a gift for him to be with his son because he says him like him his son they'd all be dead and I think this is the moment where they use each other's first names. It might have been a little bit earlier, but it's no, pretty it was before. It's before, but it's it's pretty noteworthy that like when they do that, there's like the connection now that they have, like moving forward for the most part, they are um, in unison about how they, um, at least how they manage the fleet. Um, it's for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it like they they've agreed on stuff before, but it always felt distant. And mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm, I'm acting according to my role as commander of the Battlestar. I'm in charge of the military. I must tell you I'm in charge of the military to make sure that I'm saying I'm in charge of the military, but it's like secondhand for them after this, right? They kind of like, they're kind of like in unison and they do have disagreements moving forward, but it's not like on the level, obviously that it was before. Yeah. Thinking about the election in particular. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, Hilo is uh, over there steaming over the news about Boomer. Sharon, you know, kind of makes it 
known that she's not a person to any of them. She's a thing to, you know, everybody else. He was like, kind of like, you know, he won't stand by and let anything happen to her. Um, and Sharon basically is like, she asked Hilo if she trusts her and he's like, yeah. And then, but then he, she's like, I'm going to be taking some matters into my own hands. And, you know, based on the conversation with mayor a little bit more, obviously we know like she, it looks like she might be contemplating what he was offering her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hilo is questioning her, but like, you know, kind of like you should have pressed a little bit more Hilo, but you know, I'm letting it go. Um, I think that it was important for her to just for him to just trust that I'm going to do something mm-hmm. and better if he didn't know about it mm-hmm. so that it's all on her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 really important. And I think for when it all goes down in a few seconds, we'll talk about it. But it, when it all goes down, it was really important for us, the viewer, too, because I still at the you know, when I first watching it, I wasn't like convinced convinced that she was still with them because you know we we saw the other sharon turn on adama so we don't necessarily know if she's like a reliable narrator so to speak here yeah um even though you know there's moments that she showed us but she could still done on all this stuff just to like you know turn around again so it was it was establishing trust in her for the viewers as well by what we see in a little bit which is we cut to a little bit later. They get to the tomb. They're kind of standing there looking at it. And, oh, no, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. Um, Mayor asked Sharon later, uh, like, if she's made her decision. And basically, she's like, yeah, she's you know, she's all in, right? Um, then right after that, they arrive at the entrance of the tomb. And they're kind of standing there looking at it. Rosalind, um, you know, tells Starbuck that it's, it's time for the arrow. <laughs> so right in that moment, Sharon pulls a gun out of her pocket and holds it up to Adama. Um, Mayor then holds his gun and points it up to Apollo. And then Sharon turns from Adama and shoots Mayor in the chest. And one of the one of the Zarek Mayor goons um, tries to shoot but Apollo shoots him in the head. It's a really good shot. Um, and it wasn't the sniper Starbuck that did it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then Sharon um, then turns to Adama. She turns, the, I think she turns the gun back on Adama. Um, and she's like, she says, I need you to know something. I'm Sharon, but I'm a different Sharon. I know who I am. I don't have hidden protocols or programs lying and wait to be activated. I make my own choices. I make my own decisions. And I need you to know this is my choice. And then she kind of turns the gun down and releases it. And Adama mean mugs her for a little bit. It feels like an hour. (laughs) Yeah. And then he takes the gun from her. Um, I really like how there isn't like an emotional conclusion to this moment. It's not like Adama's like, Oh, okay. You're, you're good. You're one of us. You know, it's, there's still a big question mark, but um, you know, there's definitely like a sense of trust in in that situation. And then to kind of like nail this home, Tyrrell notes that the gun isn't military issue. 
And they say, where did you get it from? And she says, it's from Myers. So that establishes that all of this was, ironically, um, the human plan and Mm -hmm. not the Cylons to get rid of him. Yeah. And Zarek comforts him as he dies and says, you never did listen to me. I mean, it's kind of touching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was happy to be rid of this character. Yeah. He definitely, he was an interesting, like, I think I talked about it last episode. It's kind of like he, it's interesting how you had like a noteworthy actor showing up, um, but he just like kind of drops in. It's like even the way they introduce him, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't, he doesn't come in as traditionally as like I think we're used to in other shows. And then he just kind of like taps out. We didn't really get a lot of him. Um, we got enough. Yeah, we got enough. Yeah. Like all that's settled. Now we can get down to business. This has been leading up since um, Starbuck went to find this arrow. So standing at the door and they're trying to figure out how to open it. And I'm like, just speak friend and enter. That's yeah, right. I, I, <laughs> I think that's what I think that's what Jason said when we rewatched this too. <laughs> oh, really? yeah. Speak friend and enter. Melo. Um uh, Adama's like, hey. I mean, why didn't why didn't Gandalf just know? I mean, yeah, it's, that's a. I mean, yeah. <laughs> What's the elvish word for? I guess we just needed Frodo to have a smart moment. I think, yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it was supposed to be a riddle, so to speak, I think was the point, but it wasn't like literally speak friend and enter. It was like speak, comma, like speak, comma, friend and enter. But still, Gandalf, like you're supposed to be like thousands of years old or whatever. So (laughs) come on. But anyways, Gandalf was, I bet he also, he smoked a lot of, uh, Smoked a lot of uh, long he bottom did. leaf. So he did. Yes, was... he was quite the fan. <laughs> he might not have been all present at the moment. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a thousand years old, and I forget things now. Where I'm like, why? Have, how come I can't think of that word? Oh yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll give him a pass, but yeah. still. <laughs> anyway, uh, so you know, Hilo. I actually kind of find it, it's, this seems unintentionally funny to me because it's kind of like. Adam was like, "Hey, Elo, come over here. You're big and strong. Let's push this yeah. door. Let's do, you know." <laughs> and uh, well, it's like Hilo and Lee, yeah, and Tyrrell. And Adama like, can't push it himself. First yeah, of all, he's true. old, but also yeah. he just had surgery. But I just, it's just funny. He's like, "Hey, let's try this. Hey, let, let's, uh, yeah, yeah." I just let's, thought let's it was just, funny. What happens if we push it? Yeah, so yeah, let's. <laughs> um, so they do push it, and it opens. To my surprise, actually. <laughs> because <laughs> you just you just know that the arrow is supposed to like open the door right like that's how it's supposed to work um and uh so adama tells hilo which is you know noteworthy to stay out because like mm-hmm. you know kind of suspicious of you still and he tells uh, you know obviously everybody else is staying outside um and he but he tells chief to guard the all of them <laughs> which yeah. is like that's like a good line and I know, I know you. I know you don't necessarily like this, but it is interesting that this is the second time Richard Hatch has been at the tomb of Cobol to find <laughs> Earth. Okay. Because this happens. In... Well, this time he doesn't get to go in. Yeah, he doesn't get to go in this time, um, but previously he did. 
and it sort of follows this a similar in the in the original version there's like this medallion that Adama had which opens I think it opens up the tomb he puts it on a wall and stuff happens blah 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 so they enter into the room they see a bunch of statues that are fallen and broken um, they start to recognize that the statues are the icons of the tribes, um, which line up with, you know, the, what do you call them? <laughs> the zodiac signs. Mm-hmm. The speaking of forgetting words, um, they line up with the zodiac signs. So there's like Libra, Aries, blah, blah, blah. And you see all that stuff. There's a goat, which is Caprica, which maybe I never really thought about it, but I'm like, oh yeah, it's Caprica. It's, it's a goat. And then, um, Adama notices the Sagittarion statue, or I think uh, maybe Rosalind notices it, but then Adama's like, it's missing an arrow. And you're like, ahana. And Starbuck then places the arrow into the where the the statue would have been holding it. And all of a sudden, the, the front of the tomb or whatever closes, and all the lights go down, and then... All of a sudden, they're like in this grassy field in the middle of this stone circle. And somebody says, I thought we were in the tomb. And Starbucks says, I think that was the lobby. That was supposed to be a funny line. So on each of the statues, there's like constellations and Mm -hmm. then... Above them are the constellations. In the sky, there's the constellations as well. Kind of realize, I think Apollo realized it's a map to Earth. Um, It's Starbucks. No, it's Rosalind recognizes that they are, they correspond with the ancient names of the colonies, which are the names we recognize Gemini, Aries, Cancer. They They realize it's like, it's sort of like, a map or whatever, but then yeah. Starbuck kind of has this realization. It's a map. Yeah, then Starbuck realizes that she's like, we, no, we are actually on Earth. Like the, that's where they're supposed to be. I write my notes, but which Earth? Because um, <laughs> <laughs> that's still another question. I'm still not sure about what how that works, but um, I'm sure as I as we go through the show, I'm going to start to kind of dive into a little bit more. Um, Apollo sees a big uh, nebula up in the sky. It's like a, it's the, the lagoon nebula, call it. And mm-hmm. he realizes that that is basically like the compass. So if they head in that direction, then they should be able to be able to at least have a general location where they should start searching. This it's sort of like in the opening sequences of the original show. There's always like this kind of to me, iconic uh, red nebula that they show when um, Adama, uh, Lauren Green, is giving his opening um, statement he always gives. So to me, that was like a callback to that. Um, I read uh, read a little bit of stuff like the, the astronomy about all of it because they were kind of like trying to locate where the colonies would be versus where Earth would be. And they were, I think they said that it would have made the colonies in the, I think they said the crab arm of the galaxy. I think that's what they said. It would have had to be like a, it would have to be where they were like, there was a line of sight between the two. And so that's why they would have been able to find it. It's the Cygnus arm of the The galaxy. The Cygnus arm? Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. The the Lagoon Nebula does exist mm-hmm. and in our galaxy. And what I read was the 12 colonies must be located on a line that passes through Seoul and the Lagoon Nebula. Yeah. But that the Lagoon Nebula is actually not in Scorpio, which is where they say it is. It's mm-hmm. in Sagittarius. Yeah, I did read too that they there was like a flub by them. They placed the stones in the wrong order or something. Yeah, they it, they did Leo, Libra, Virgo. It should be Leo, Virgo, Libra. Ooh. But I still have. So is that so the Earth that they're looking for? I never was really sh- like the Earth that we find. I mean, these are spoilers. So turn it off. There's two Earths that we find, and one we find because of Starbuck. Right, but I've never. But they were always. Were they always searching for that one, or were they actually searching for the Earth? Because I always call it fake real Earth, the one that we end up on. Um, Right. And then I call the one that we find real Earth. So that was the one they were always trying to find, but then. Yeah, anyways, I don't know. Well, look, all of this will happen before, or all of this has happened before, and all of this will happen again. Right. And apparently, I mean, I, somebody found that first Earth. Right, and that's what I mean, that's why I, I like that it happens that way, because obviously, you know, it that whole idea of, like, the story kind of cycling. But from a logistics standpoint, I just kind of, like, I wonder, like, was this stone circle that they see on the... 13th tribe earth or this uh, the earth they end up on i don't know who knows i don't have an answer for you yeah i don't i don't know when's ever they don't ever really talk about it um so anyways well maybe we'll discover as we go along on our journey to fake real real faker i wish we could find another earth <laughs> Well, this has all happened before. <laughs> um, so then we cut to back to uh, the Galactica, and we're in um, the hangar deck, and everybody's present now, all dressed in suits, and so obviously they've you know come back and they've all cleaned up. Um, Adama gives a very rousing speech, um, and he re- he reintroduces Rosalind as the president of the colonies to very tepid clapping from mm-hmm. the crowd. And then Adama kind of like, uh, kind of mirrors when he um, said, so say we all in the miniseries at the end. And there was like, it's very weak and he keeps saying it till it gets everybody on board. He does this version, but he does like a slow clap. Very slow clap. Yeah. Um, and at first it actually, actually, I read it as slow clap, but really he was, I mean, it ends up being a, a rhythmic, you know, mm-hmm. ritualistic kind of thing. Eventually everybody joins in and gets louder and louder and louder to what's full on. And then, you know, and then it's finally like, okay, we are, we're back to where we're supposed to be now. Finally. Oh, uh, feels so good. <laughs> so we, cut to Sharon in her cell that was intended for Boomer, but now it's hers. Hilo enters in his full dress uniform. <laughs> they're kind of talking about whatever they're talking about. 
Um, Boomer, I mean, uh, Baltar is on the outside of that watching in. And through their discussion, um, through their discussion, he hears them talking about their baby. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes finally that the baby that Six has been talking about all this time is Sharon's. And then Six finally reappears in her red dress that we know so well. Boomer, she basically is like, Boomer is going to bear our child. Um, Not Boomer. Yeah, I'm sorry. Actually, no. The, I noted this. Because he does say Boomer is going to bear our child. Um, Baltar says it. Hmm. Um, and I kind of read that as a as a typo or something, but he wouldn't have really, they wouldn't have really known to say anything differently. So it's like, yeah. whatever. Yeah. He, he kind of like surmises through all of this that he, he knows he doesn't have a chip, right? And, but because Sharon's pregnant, he surmises that sh- that this six couldn't be a part of his subconscious either because he there's no way that he would have been able to know this thing that happened for his subconscious to even make that up. Somehow he realizes that he's not crazy <laughs> through all of that. But then it's like, then what are you? And she says, I'm an angel of God sent here to protect you. When I, I remember when I first watched this, I was like, I don't know about that, but I think as I, you know, as I have said before on this podcast and as I, I thought about it, I think we are meant to take that literally. Um, and a lot of people don't, but it plugs into a lot of the esoteric nature of Battlestar Galactica, the original, at least, um, that, um, there was a lot of that stuff going on that a lot of people don't really remember about the show. So that's it. Um, She says she's there to guide him, to protect him, and that she loves him. He asks to what end? And she says to the end of the human race. Oh, no, that's scary. And then Mm -hmm. they have a hug. When she says that, like, kind of, you know, your reaction is supposed to be, I think, like there's, you know, something deadly going on but i think as it turns out they actually she is guiding them to the end of the human race in a in a in a way by the events that happen in the finale Mm -hmm. um but anyways we'll talk about that later so there's an interesting little bit of trivia it's not really a blooper but you can see in the scene where where Sharon points the gun at Adama in as they're like at the front of that tomb you can see Rosalind and Starbucks sort of smiling yeah. and mm-hmm. Rosalind's like almost like she's trying not to smile and that's because <laughs> uh, from an interview with Paul Campbell he said that he and Aaron Douglas would they were trying to make Mary laugh because she was taking her husband to a horse race so they were making up names for the horses that her husband would be betting on mm-hmm. and he said once you get Mary on a roll once you get her giggling she will not stop and they were shooting that episode talking about her 
talking about the names and so they were just coming up with all these ridiculous names trying to make her laugh and he said some of the names were lightning steed and farts dust (laughs) beaten by a nose and a nose um three-legged old man guaranteed to win and he said that they just went on for like two or three hours where they came up with like hundreds of names and he said he thinks that Mary's laughter was like in about 50% of the takes <laughs> because she couldn't she couldn't get herself back together. Yeah, that's interesting. So Funny. that's And I just went back and looked and you can see her sort of smiling. It's yeah. not quite it's not quite at the level of there's some there's some episodes of Friends where Jennifer Aniston actually like covers her face with her uh, hand because uh, she's starting to laugh and she's not supposed to be. Yeah. And I catch it every time and that makes me laugh that she couldn't keep herself. Because my favorite thing about any any comedy or especially like Saturday Night Live is when they can't keep themselves from laughing. I know most people don't like it when people break in skits and I love it. So I just think like if something is funny and you can't help yourself but laugh, that that makes it funnier to me. Yeah, I believe in. I it's funny on Saturday Night Live every once in a while when you can tell the sketch is like really funny and you're like it's like it's kind of charming. But then when you get to Jimmy Fallon, like he just all he had to do is say hello and he starts laughing and him and Horatio Sands, I was like, I'm over you guys. Like I'm, I'm done. I always... I'm done with you guys. I'm not a fan of Jimmy Fallon anymore, but I back in the day loved him and I I actually really loved that about him that he just he's like an excited puppy who couldn't help himself. Yeah, I I always like, I've never liked him like from day one I've never <laughs> liked him. And I didn't think it was particularly funny, but anyways, you know, whatever. That's a that's a that's a subjective uh yeah. judgment there. Um so we talked about some of this other stuff that I had saved. Mhm. Um, let's see if we missed anything. Um, it's possible that the fleet now has two captured heavy raiders, but mm-hmm. the one that crashed into the Galactica may be too damaged. We don't know. Yeah. Um, also, according to Starbucks observations, the Cylons have a plan for Caprica. They're cleaning up the bodies, moving the heavy machinery to repair the infrastructure. Ron Moore has stated in interviews that this is actually a major plot point as later witnessed and downloaded mm-hmm. also while the cylon farms are logically a plan for the 12 colonies Moore has said that it is not their only plan this i mean we'll talk about this the plan stuff i think a little bit more but i actually stumbled across something um where there were actually interviews where uh just yesterday i've stumbled across this where there's interviews where Ron Moore and David Icke are basically like, yeah, we kind of messed up with that whole plan thing. And it was actually, <laughs> it was actually David Icke's um, idea and like he insisted on it. So Ron Moore blames him, but like, like, <laughs> no, I think it was, I'll have to watch it again. Cause I was kind of, I was, I stumbled across this video that was talking about, um, it was doing a retrospective about Caprica and um, blood and Chrome and the plan. So I was I wasn't necessarily paying attention to that part. So I might be misquoting, but basically, when they watched it the first time, they were like, "Oh my god, that's so cheesy! Why did why did I let you do that?" <laughs> so it was Ike's 
uh, he wanted to put that there's an ominous thing and it became mm. a thing for a lot of people and they yeah i never it's almost like i never paid attention to that part the entire time i just was like watching the show right so i never was like oh there's like this solid plan that they're doing but some people like take you know some people take a lot of that stuff to heart and um but there never was really like a plan it was yeah. just david ike's insistence on putting that word at the end of this thing that ron moore thought was cheesy so yeah all right um was baltar the worst this week um he was borderline, but I wouldn't say that he's the worst. No, I think Myers still gets that. Yeah, designation. Definitely. Yeah, by far. Who gets full colors? Um, that's a it's kind of a tricky one. There's so much kind of happens, but I mean, I'll I'll give it to I guess Adama. I guess maybe I don't know Sharon. I give it to Sharon. I give it to Sharon. Yeah, I had to go through a whole <laughs> thing. Who would you throw out the airlock? Uh, yeah, Myers. Yeah. Maybe Zarek with him. I mean... Get out! <laughs> <laughs> He's got something coming for him later. It's a little bit more... It's a little... I mean, he eventually does get an airlock. Um, yeah. And this week's favorite Cylon? Uh, it's Sharon Valeri. Yeah, Sharon. Yeah. Uh, do we have any new reviews? Um, <laughs> you didn't look again. You know, it's funny. I picked up my phone to look 10 minutes before we started recording. And then I must have gotten distracted. <laughs> I'm just now remembering. Um, but I checked over the week and we hadn't gotten any new reviews. Let's put it that way. So okay. we encourage you guys and I will check. I promise um, to send us reviews and um, on our um, particularly on Apple Podcasts. and Hey, we got one. Oh, did we? Awesome. Yeah. It's from someone named CapsFan30. Hey, okay. guys, you're doing a great job. I'm loving your thoughts on the show, especially having watched the show myself several times. I actually came across your show by accident in a recommended shows from one of the other past BSG Reviews podcasts that I used to listen to. Yeah. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the Pegasus episode. And I was wondering if you guys are going to do Razor, that film that focused on the Pegasus backstory. I mean, we haven't talked about it, but I was going to, I mean, I was going to be like, yeah, we're doing Razor, right? And then I also was, I should maybe shouldn't put this on air. Maybe you could cut this out. But there were a whole bunch of the webisodes that they did um, between seasons three and four three and four and two and three that I was wondering if we might at least talk about as well. If I can find them, I have the webisodes from at least from, uh, I think it was the face of the enemy. Um, that was between three and four and I'd have to track down the webisodes. Are they not on the Blu-rays? I don't think that they're on the Blu-rays. They might be. I, I haven't even like looked that far to see if they actually are. Cause they, they, they actually might be in the, um, in the extras, um, but it doesn't specify on any of the literature on the packaging that they are on there, so I don't know. Um, I th I've never seen the webisodes. Oh, you've never seen them? Interesting. No. So, if they're accessible, like, they might be on YouTube or something. 
Yeah. Then, yeah, absolutely. If they, especially if they sort of add to the story and aren't like taking away from anything. Yeah, I, well, I will say um, that the 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 ones that they did on New Caprica between seasons two and three definitely add to the story. It's when we actually find out about Jammer. Um, but that fucker. <laughs> but then the episode that I do like, and I'm just going off my memory because I think I only watched it once. But the uh, the face of the enemy wasn't as it did feel a little bit more like it was like not as pointed or directed. But it does have a lot to do with like you know where we see we can infer stuff about where Gaeta ends up. Plus, um, his uh. We, I think that's where we meet his, or like we, I think it's where we kind of infer that he's dating. What's his name? Um, what? I think that's when it happens. Who? Gata, you know, Gata's boyfriend. What? No, I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Gata doesn't have a boyfriend on the show. Uh, yeah. Hoshi. What? Yeah, Hoshi, yeah. You didn't know that? I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, maybe. Why, maybe... Didn't, why didn't they make out? I had no idea. Maybe it was just. Uh, I, maybe it must they have just... just been in the webisodes. I yeah, literally no idea. Yeah. Um, well, that what... wasn't even subtext on the show. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if those, if those, um, if they're. If we can find them, if they're on the Blu-rays or they're on YouTube or something, then yeah, absolutely. And as for Razor, I don't have a problem with covering Razor. I mean, Razor's good. The question is when. Well, I'm I'm always a I'm always a fan of doing things as they were released. So we should do it when it it was released. So I think that it came out after I think season that it was two. After I think Razor came out. I think it came out. I'll, I'll look it up, but it, it might have come out bef- between season three and four. I can't oh, remember. Really? It's uh, on the it's on the season two Blu-ray, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'll just I'll look it up when it actually like when the actual air date was. I just remember there's that line in Razor where you know uh, Thrace will lead them to the you know man to destruction, and I think that we still didn't know like as you know character like enters um and we don't know the nature of what's going on then so that's kind of how i read it like how i remember it was between three and four but uh we'll look it up but yeah we definitely would do it because razor is actually really good um uh razor came out in 2007 and it has old school cylon so i you know i'm gonna be all over talking about that (laughs) so yes you're right razor came out between season three and four because season three ends march 25th 2007 and razor i don't have a release date but it says 2007 and then you know the face of the enemy those webisodes maybe those came out i think they had they came out before gata lost his leg or maybe, I don't know, maybe they came out after. But anyways, maybe that's just the, maybe that's the only place that they showed. Because, yeah, he, he and Oshi definitely are for dating. And maybe they just never showed it on the show. But obviously I saw. They didn't. 
you know, so I just I can a hundred percent guarantee. I mean, I just rewatched this whole right. show. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's a little little sneaky. I heard uh, a, a friend, um, a listener of the show, my friend uh, Reed, he said that like they kind of um, added. There, there was. I think there was some talk about representation or something, and that was like they threw that in um, for mm-hmm. Gata at the end. But like having it just be on the webisodes, but not on the actual broadcast show, kind of makes that even a little bit more clear to me how they might have been trying to placate, but also acknowledge. But in my head, I've all. I mean, all my friends, we've all like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, Gata, Gata's was dating Hoshi. Yeah. Not that we talk about it all the time, but it's like, yeah, that's like, yeah. Wow. No, I had no, no idea. Um, it's why we, that's why I like Hoshi so much, you know, when he goes through stuff, he goes through, but anyway. So thank you for the review. Caps fan 30. Really appreciate it. Finally, somebody new gave us a review. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at galactually pod. You can find us on Instagram at Galactica Actually, Gmail at Galactica Actually Podcast at gmail.com if you have longer things that you would like to say. And you can find me and my past work on the Unspoiled Network covering Lost, Band of Brothers, Doctor Who, The Punisher, and The Vampire Diaries. And Diallo, where can people find you? Find me uh, at the Armageddon on Instagram. Uh, First Noel Chronicles website and Instagram. I just started a TikTok at the Armageddon because I realized I need to start promoting Angela in the Dark, which is now live and on YouTube. So it is a 16-minute long motion comic um, that takes the original print version that we did and we animate it and have voice actors, um, original music, and we have a score, or not a score, we have uh, the theme music by um, Murray Gold from Doctor Who that did it specifically for our our um, project. And uh, that is, yeah, so you can find that. Um, it's on my um, production company website called Forge Creation. Um, probably links to this somewhere, I'm assuming. Um and yeah, that's where you can find me. Watch it, okay. share it, check, subscribe. Yes, comments. watch it. Yeah. I Whoops. think I technically have a YouTube account, so I will try to leave you a review. Awesome. But be honest. Like, I hated it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> so what do people think? People are like, I don't know. <laughs> my friends are just telling me and i don't believe anything they say not it's not oh that my God. you know you know i'm a, I'm a tortured artist <clears throat> so that's just kind of what i do but anyway well next week we have the episode called final cut i am excited about it i love this episode oh yeah it is like it's so interesting that it's like in some ways, this show, this episode is like a break, you know, mm-hmm. from all the stuff that, you know, it's like, but it definitely, it is initially kind of like that, but it doesn't end up that way. So, right. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I can't, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that one. So we're we're in it now. This is firing on all cylinders from now until the end, except for that one blip. Hey. In a few <laughs> months, we'll get to that blip. Uh, I wish we could skip it. <laughs> There's actually probably we'll probably end up talking a lot about. I mean, it's universally hated, and I even yeah. I like I said this before on the podcast, but I finished that episode and I was like, what? was that and i was like <laughs> telling my friend i was like that was the worst that was so terrible what what like what what's going on and then i listened to the podcast the next day when it was released and ron moore was like basically apologizing for the episode oh, that's funny so you know I, I'll, I'll listen to it because i haven't listened to that podcast in like a long time but my memory was that he was just kind of like yeah we just we were trying some things and it might not have worked out so but we have bill yeah. duke in that so that was awesome okay well until next week when we talk about final cut and not black market <laughs> what do you hear nothing but the rain on cobalt <laughs> so much rain on cobalt <laughs> Bye. See ya. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.